Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. TMA has a long, proud history of promoting patient rights, advocating for physicians, and providing real solutions for your practice. We can accomplish so much when we unite in one voice. Call the TMA Knowledge Center at 1-800-880-7955 or visit TexMed.org to find out how you can join or renew your membership today. Hi, I'm Cheryl Kroviak. I manage the TMA Education Center and produce the TMA Practice Well podcast. In this episode, I'm happy to share a taste of CME from TMA's largest conference, TexMed, where in addition to the association's annual business meetings, physicians can attend CME talks across various specialties, all geared toward educating and empowering the physicians of Texas. Physicians attending this year's TexMed conference will have more time to pursue education and networking opportunities thanks to a new approach implemented by the Texas Medical Association Board of Trustees and staff. To register for TexMed 2023 in Fort Worth, click the link in the episode description. Now, I'm happy to introduce Dr. Alfonso and a taste of her CME presentation, Amphetamines, the Next Epidemic, What History Has Not Taught Us. Thank you so much. My name is Helene Alfonso. I am a psychiatrist and I work at John Peter Smith County Hospital in Fort Worth, Texas. We are also a teaching institution. Um, As a psychiatrist, I have a unique experience there. About a third of my population is uninsured, a third is Medicare and Medicaid, and then a third of my population is private insurance. Fort Worth, Texas is considered somewhat underserved when it comes to mental health, and most of the private psychiatrists in Fort Worth are cash pay only and do not accept insurance. So I have a very varied uh, patient population. I am board certified in psychiatry as well as addiction, and my background is neuroscience. Much of my research is with the Neuroscience Institute at UNT Health Science Center. So the history lesson is that We've had amphetamine epidemics in the past as early as 1929. It started off as a decongested and bronchodilator in 1929. Um, By 1937, the AMA had approved the advertising of benzodrine sulfate for the conditions of narcolepsy, post-encephalitic Parkinsonism, and minor depression, which as a psychiatrist, I've yet to diagnose anyone with minor depression. So by the 1960s, we might've heard of like black mollies. I I guess I do work with a lot of patients who have some addiction issues. And so black mollies is basically reference to a diet pill that was used in the 1960s. Um, By 1930s, however, they had already been reporting psychosis. And we kind of have this idea of psychosis that, you know, although that only happens to some people, you know, only some people are prone to that. And the sad reality is every human has the ability to become psychotic if the circumstances are right. They started questioning, you know, maybe it was a latent schizophrenia that was unmasked by use of the drug or some fault of the patient's genetic code. But eventually, and and I think this is a quite profound statement, that by 1958, the statement to say amphetamine psychosis could happen to anyone and eventually would when given enough of the drug. 
So finally, by 1970s is when all amphetamines were shifted to a Schedule II. So we all know Schedule II is pretty much the most addicting substance that we can prescribe. So opiates, let's look at our opiates. This is ironic, a trade war with China in the 1700s, you know, how is it we're constantly at this trade war? The British East India Trading Company um, was basically getting the opium from India, bringing it into China and trying to shift the trade deficit so they could get cheaper Chinese goods by kind of trashing their economy. By 1839, China was recognizing that, you know, this addiction was spreading throughout their own people. And um, when the British East India Trading Company and he said, well, we want you to legalize it so we can tax it. They responded by threatening the death penalty to offenders, which then led to the first opium war, which the Chinese lost and then opened trade to the rest of the world. And that is where we started getting our opium coming in for the Civil War. Addiction was sharply rising by 1896, over half a million pounds per year in 1896. Could you imagine with the limited production ability they had to be capable of that, which means there's a lot of money in this. So that by uh, 1914, Harrison Narcotics Act is where opiates were only made a prescription. Now remember, it wasn't until recently opiates are scheduled two. They were scheduled four before that. I think everyone here in this room very well knows um, the opiate pattern of what happened of where, you know, pain became the fifth vital sign. We had to be aware of treating it. Doctors lost their licenses for not prescribing enough pain medications. We had to go through CME conferences that were telling us, guess what, doc, you know, opiates are safer than you thought they were. They're actually not addicting. And, and here's evidence that says that it's safe and you should be prescribing more or else they're going to take your license away. And how many times we had to sit through these CME conferences saying this isn't logical and doesn't make any sense. How can that be? Um, and of course, now there's multi-million dollar lawsuits. And of course, while all of these companies have stated they have no responsibility or culpability, there are million of, millions of dollars that have been given to different cities and states um, in response to companies' actions in the opiate epidemic. So here's the playbook. Prescribing this drug is safer than you think it is. It is safe and compassionate treatment. Everybody's doing it. If a patient behaves as if they're addicted, this is tolerance, and you treat tolerance by giving them more. And as long as you have an ICD diagnosis, you are at less risk of addiction than other people. So this is myth number one. Prescribing this drug is safer than you think it is. So myth number two, prescribing this drug is effective and compassionate treatment. Of course, you know, pain being the fifth vital sign, you know, um, also the VA adopting this is also what spread to, you know, this is compassionate care and that if you're not treating pain, you are a bad doctor. We still, I don't know why we still have this pain assessment tool every day, because um, even though we no longer, I guess, prescribe as many opiates, at least in the clinics that I work at, we still have to use this pain assessment tool for every patient. So pseudo addiction. So this was a case of a 17 year old man with acute leukemia. He was hospitalized after a few days, he started behaving. Some people, uh, so if you've heard of like using behavior, um, that's a term that's no longer preferred to be used. But basically he would be requesting medication earlier. He'd be moaning, crying, grimacing, um, trying to get the medication earlier. And they said, in fact, it was not idiopathic opioid addiction, but it was pseudo addiction. And pseudo addiction is when you under treat. So when your patient starts behaving in this manner, they are displaying pseudo addiction. Therefore, you treat that by giving them more. So if they behave like they're addicted, give them more. So 
Right now, there might even be a lecture at this conference which talks about how we underdiagnose ADHD and are under treating with stimulants. Stimulants is, for, is the first line treatment when it comes to treating ADHD. And the marketing has been expanded. You know, they said, oh, we need to recognize that it's a lifelong condition. And it is a lifelong condition, but that adults should be taking stimulants throughout their lifetime, not just in childhood. So this study here said amphetamines are among the most dangerous and currently abused psychoactive drugs. They cause, cause dependence, behavioral toxicity, and physical damage. It was from 1971. This is not a new article. This was the common sense of the time, you know, previously to the last maybe 15 to 20 years. So one of the big arguments for not prescribing stimulants to adults is that it increases heart rate, increases blood pressure, and causes strokes and heart attacks. So this study has been heavily cited saying that the risk was less than what we thought it was. However, there's some very important parts of this study. They said it was 806,182 person years. That is the, the measure that they used. However, most of these patients were only tracked for about 1.3 years each. That's a very short time of your life. If a child is prescribed Adderall at the age of five, and we're saying they need to be using it for the rest of their life until they're 65, that is not 1.3 years. And then even in this study at the bottom, it says there were apparent protective associations likely because of healthy user bias. Yes, if somebody has high blood pressure or heart failure, they shouldn't be taking stimulant. And that came out in 2011. So Canada, of course, started catching on to some of this. By 2005, um, they kind of halted everything with Shire Pharmaceuticals, um, who makes Adderall XR, amphetamine dextroamphetamine salts. They noticed there were 20, um, 20 international reports of sudden death in patients who were taking it, um, 12 reports of stroke, and many, some of these, half of these were children. Well, it said, well, five of the youngsters had significant cardiac risk factors, some of which were only identified in an autopsy, which basically means this child had a heart defect that nobody knew about and dropped dead. And first of all, I will say that, um, and then one at least had a family history of cardiac ventricular arrhythmias. So kind of like they put the blame on the patient saying, well, that patient had a problem. So they were a different type of a patient. EKGs are not a standard practice. And even if we had done an EKG on some of these children, we probably would not have caught the cardiac abnormality that they would have had. So that's our playbook. Prescribing this drug is safer than you think it is. Just like with the opiate epidemic. So stimulant ADHD medication risk for stimulant abuse. Note that this study was in Sweden. Thank you, Dr. Alfonso. To our listeners, we hope you found this Taste of TextMed CME interesting. To get the full program, just click the link in the episode description. We hope to see you in Fort Worth for TextMed 2023. And remember to like and follow to receive every episode from TMA Practice Well. Until next time. Stay well.